Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers and welcome to the last saunter of Genesis today. So it's been a long book but so exciting the book of beginnings and what an amazing story it's been so today we're going to go into chapter 50 I'm just going to pray and then we'll get going so Lord thank you for this amazing book thank you for the book that is in the book of books the bible and thank you for this revelation that we see unfolding of who you are and of your incredible nature and your patience and your kindness and your faithfulness in your dealings with the human race. And we're so grateful to you, Lord, for all these stories so faithfully written down in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, Kathy, Ruth and Chris, Mary, Flora, Buenos Dias. So here we go, Genesis chapter 50. Well done, those who've sauntered all the way through. And if you've missed any, they're all still on Facebook and they're all on YouTube as well, of course, um, under the Prayer House Weymouth um, banner. So do dig in. And plus, like I said last week, every single saunter that we've done is up on YouTube um, for your delectation (laughs) or for your leisurely viewing. Anyway, I hope they've been helpful. It's been certainly helpful to me and I've been really blessed. Good morning, Chris, um, to be able to spend this time just devouring and enjoying God's word with you guys. So what then, so it says verse one, then Joseph fell on his father's face. So remember, Jacob has just died. And I love the detail of this verse, the last verse of the chapter before it says, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And I love that little detail of he drew up his feet into the bed. So he kind of He's sitting on the edge of the bed, it seems, and then he just pulls up his feet and he's tired. He lies down to rest and bam, the light's gone out. Good morning, Adrian, and good morning, Pat and Mike. And uh, so, yeah, really moving. And then Joseph, this is just beautiful, isn't it? I love this stuff. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for 70 days. Wow. Well, I read on the Smithsonian Institute's website that typically embalming would take 70 days. But these guys are doing it in 40 
And I also read on another website that the the um, amount of time to grieve and mourn publicly for um, a royal a member of the royal family in Egypt was seventy two days. So these guys are grieving over him and weeping for him as a kind of national period of mourning. The whole nation goes into mourning for this old ancient Hebrew shepherd who's rocked up with his ramshackle family, the Beverly Hillbillies, have all just driven into town in these borrowed carts and wagons and stuff from Pharaoh. And now he's a national hero and the whole nation goes into like a kind of state funeral mode and mourns for him for 70 days in the Egyptians. It wasn't just the Hebrews. It wasn't just his own people who wept for him, but all this community around him. And don't you just love that depiction of the favour of God resting on this old guy? And I think, you know, as we get older, we start to think maybe our effectiveness is diminished and we're less this or that or the other. Maybe we're less able physically. And yet God is still kind of there anointing us and making our lives count and significant and all the rest of it. Good morning, Fran, and good morning, Alison. And so um, <clears throat> then Joseph commanded... The, so anyway, the physicians get started on embalming um, Jacob. And this process was a very lengthy process here. It's 40 days. And it was something the Egyptians were particularly skilled at. They developed this skill um, and we have the evidence of it, don't we, from 300, uh, sorry, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, um, this ancient practice of embalming where they took the internal organs out of the body and they dried it with a special kind of salt. And it meant that plus the dry air in the in the land of Egypt would just dry this skin out. And so they would pack it out then the body cavity um, with salt to dry it from the inside as well. And then they'd fill it out with bits of linen and stuff to kind of give it its original shape. And the idea was to try and preserve as much of the original look of the person as possible after they were dead. And it was all part of their kind of religious beliefs. But Joseph thought, well, we may as well avail ourselves of the talent and skills that are around. There's all this great national outpouring of grief they might as well do my dad. Let's really honour him. And for Joseph, this would have been his absolute moment to properly, in his view, honour his dad. And obviously, Joseph believed in God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He wasn't expecting Anubis to come and do something or any other of these Egyptian deities. But he was certainly happy for to honour his dad in this way with this traditional um, Egyptian kind of process of embalming. Uh, but don't you love that? That like everybody is mourning for this old guy who's only recently turned up in the nation and he's a national hero because he's Joseph's dad. That's why he's a hero, because he raised this lad to be a follower of God. And oh, isn't that amazing? So good morning, Johnny and Deepak. Great to see you guys. So where are we? Over the page. Um, verse four. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, this is interesting. Joseph is second in command in the whole nation under Pharaoh. Anything Pharaoh, anything Joseph says is as if Pharaoh has said it. 
But now Joseph is going through a protocol and he's honoring the protocol that exists. And so he speaks to the household of Pharaoh. So it's like he's going to the, um, I don't know, the privy council or the, the kind of courtiers who serve Pharaoh directly. And they're there tending to him every day. And Joseph wants a special kind of pronouncement from Pharaoh. And this is what he says. So Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh saying, if now I have found favour in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb, that I hear... Sorry, I'm about to die. Right, let me read it properly with the punctuation. So he says, If now I have found favour in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb, that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. This is interesting. This is such a little premonition of the kind of interchange between Moses 400 years later and the then Pharaoh, the Pharaoh to be, um, who is nowhere even is a twinkle in his father's eye or whatever the expression goes. He's not anywhere. Um, and yet he's kind of going to his boss and he's saying, Pharaoh, I would love permission to just go and bury my father so that I can fulfill the oath, the covenant. You remember Joseph had to put his hand under his father's thigh towards into there where his groin region and swear to him and say, yeah, I'll bury you back in the family tomb at Mamre that Abraham bought from the Hittites. And so, or whoever it was. Anyway, so, yep, Ephron the Hittite. So um, he has to seek favour from Pharaoh and he does it in a very formal way because even though Joseph is number two in the whole country, he still honours his boss and he doesn't presume he doesn't just assume that this is going to be OK and I'll just nip off and take some time off to go and bury my dad, go on some long ramble into the wilderness. Um, he, with all of my brothers and family and retinue and everybody else, that would have seemed rude. And so he formally goes to Pharaoh. And I think we just need to understand the wisdom of Joseph and learn some things about protocol and honour and respect in how we convey respect to people in positions of authority, whether they're believers or not. And I think that, that we should not be less respectful or less honouring of someone because they are a believer, because they're a brother or a sister. I believe if we can learn to show honour in the appropriate way, that is great wisdom, immense wisdom. And we need to learn these things because um, we live in a society where we have a kind of egalitarian view which is kind of can get slightly twisted where we see oh he's just the same as me they're no better than me and we get into a kind of inverted snobbery thing where we think we can speak badly of people in authority or we can jostle our way or be rude to them I do believe that there's something about honoring those that God has given us whether they're a boss a parent a pastor whoever that God has given us to um, I'm not sorry, I'm not trying to get respect, guys, just hear me. I'm just trying to say this is an important principle that is biblical and it does us well to uh, kind of learn how to honour people. 
particularly if we're in employment and our boss is a difficult person, there's a challenge then, isn't there? How to rightly um, be assertive when it's necessary, but at the same time to maintain that level of respect. Good morning, Julie. And so he does all goes through all the protocol at verse six. And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Pharaoh is like, it's like pushing on an open door, as they say. He's not going to resist that. But it's good to get the permission, isn't it? It's good to get the clearance. And so Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh. This is what happens when you have favour. This is what God does when you have favour with your boss. The boss kind of gives you more than you've asked for. So Joseph would have been happy, I guess, if he'd have gone up with a couple of his servants and his brothers, done the burial, come back, got on with his job. But no, Pharaoh says, go up. And then he, so it says that Joseph went up to bury his father and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household. So the only person who doesn't seem to go is Pharaoh himself. And I just imagine Pharaoh kind of sat on his throne in the palace thinking, hmm, <laughs> what shall I do today? There's nobody to talk to. Um, where's all my servants? Oh, right. They're over at the funeral. They'll be back in a few days. Gosh, <laughs> any books to read in the Royal Library? Anyway, I don't know what happened, but it seems as if everybody migrated. So it says the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt. So this is a massive, big deal. This is a state funeral, but normally a state funeral will be held in the capital. But in this one, they're all going to go on a long journey on a road trip to get to it. This is incredible. It must have been quite a procession leaving Egypt on that day. So then as well, verse eight, as the house was all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household, only their children, their flocks and herd, their herds were left in the land of Goshen. I guess they left some servants minding it all and keeping it going and some nannies to look after the children and so on. But this, this is a massive mini exodus, including a whole shed load of Egyptian nobility going out into the land of Canaan to bury this old shepherd. Don't you love that? I love it. It's so exciting for me because this is about honour and this is about God's favour on somebody's life. Whew. So anyway, and they went up with him with both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. I love the Bible. I love this description of what they're doing. They're doing a very great and grievous lamentation. This is a proper, <laughs> this is not like a cheery funeral where everyone's wearing bright clothes and they're, yay, woohoo celebrating the life this is a major event of outpouring of grief and oh man the eastern peoples know how to do that probably better than we do and they have the pit they now we see them on tv don't they in these tragic situations and they're holding up the pictures of the person who's deceased and they're wailing and they cover their faces and oh you know and and i think wow this is all going on here this is a big deal and so then when the inhabitants of the land, so they did this for seven days. This isn't just like, yeah, we've done the funeral. Let's go and eat some cake and drink some cold tea out of bone china. This is proper grief. And 
I don't know if they had any sandwiches, but that's a long time to be grieving, isn't it? Uh, in the middle of a foreign land. And so when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the morning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous morning by the Egyptians. So there's no mistake. Even the locals, the foreigners, don't understand Egyptian. They can see this is proper grief, whatever's happened here. And therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim, which means the morning of Egypt. There you go. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded for them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham brought, sorry, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. So after he'd buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. So this has come at the end of 70 days of mourning. They go off out into on this kind of road trip funeral procession out into Canaan. And then they come back, it's taking them seven days of mourning and then traveling in between. This is a big old deal. This is a lot of people, isn't it? A lot of logistics. I'm sure Joseph loved it. He would have organized it all to the nth degree and it would be like super efficient and ah oh, great anyway so when joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead they said it may be that joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him yeah possible dad's out the way no restraining you no know, kind of moral sort of restriction anymore the kind of Joseph might start to feel differently towards us, or maybe he feels differently all along and he's just kept a lid on it while dad's been alive. Uh-oh, this could be a serious development. So they sent a message to Joseph, verse 16, saying, your father gave this message, this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Well, he may have said that. It sounds to me like they're putting their dad in the equation to act as a kind of mediator, even though he's dead, because they fear that without, excuse me, some bit of leverage or emotional kind of manipulation, they might not get um, mercy from Joseph anymore. Now dad's out the way. And here we see that old twisted kind of way of thinking coming in let's manipulate let's try and leverage the situation let's try and gain some moral advantage we might possibly be able to squeeze out of the fact that dad is now dead and joseph's grief is still there and he still thinks about his dad a lot and he'll want to be good to us because he wants to honor the memory of his dad and so there they are trying to optimize their advantage <laughs> And it's like, what have you learned, guys? But then this is what they say. This is what they say. Please forgive. Um, so they say, so they say, Joseph, Jacob told us to say this. And, and then they say, and now. So this is them speaking now. So this is the brothers. And now please forgive the transgressions, the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. And so they, they're now saying, this was us. We're coming to you, Joseph. Please forgive us. Good morning, Kaz. Great to see you. And they're saying, please forgive us, Joseph. What we did was appalling. It was terrible. We're servants of God. 
your servant of God, is there any sort of mercy left in you? Can you forgive us? Because what we did, it was a transgression and our sin. Because So please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of God, of the God of your father. And so they're saying, we did this. We can't hide it. It was a transgression. It was evil. It was sinful. Now, that is a, an apology. They do not make any excuse. Let me say this. If you're trying to apologize, do not try to build, to tag onto it, an excuse. That is not an apology. An apology is, I am so sorry. What I did was wrong. Please, will you forgive me? That's all that needs to be said. You can, it's helpful if you're specific. So you can say, when I sold you into slavery, when I didn't fight for you, when I didn't defend you, when I didn't speak up for you, I sinned against you. I betrayed our relationship. I am so sorry. I've spoken bad of you. I spoke to my brothers badly about you. That was sinful. I'm sorry. I agreed with the guys when they said, let's chuck him in the hole. I thought, yeah, chuck him in the hole little sneak. Let's get that horrible, boasty Joseph out of our lives. I felt like that. So that's kind of a confession of my sin. I'm I'm not trying to mitigate it or make any excuses. Well, if you hadn't have worn that stupid coat all the time, I wouldn't have felt... That is an excuse. It's not even an issue. Well, if dad hadn't have favoured you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an excuse. All right. So what they did is they finally, after all Joseph's kindness... And there's a point I want to make about that as well. After all Joseph's kindness, they finally say, please, will you forgive us? They haven't said it up until now, but here they are. And this is what Joseph was looking for when he was going through his family therapy sort of ruse with these guys. He's looking for them to get to the point where they're able to say what we did was wrong. And so they're now their repentance and their apology, their admission of guilt, is partly because they're still afraid. They're still afraid that they may come into judgment. Now, there's a beautiful picture here because Joseph represents Jesus to us. Now, looking on however many centuries forward in time that we are. So as we look back and we look at Joseph, we see so many parallels of his life to that of Jesus. And we can't go into them all now. We've touched on them a bit in the story, but you might want to go back over it and make a list and see how many parallels you get. But I bet you'll get up around 30 or 40 different parallels to Jesus. But the, the scripture says that it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. It says that godly sorrow leads to repentance that leaves no regret. And it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. And so Joseph's kindness has created a place of safety and a lull and a kind of, there's no hostility coming from me kind of atmosphere among the brothers. And they think this is good. This is really good. But in this context, we need to clear up this thing that is between us because it's still there. This debt has never been paid. It's never been acknowledged and it's never been forgiven. And until we get forgiveness, the debt still stands. So this is really important. This is an important teaching right now. So 
when when the brothers finally acknowledge their sin and say, we sinned against you, Joseph, please forgive us. And they use that language. They don't just say, I'm sorry. They say, please forgive me. This is true apology. This is true repentance. And so um, now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. And so they're bringing God into the whole kind of equation because they're kind of saying we fear God. We know we do. We're not great. We're not great examples of, you know, you're better than us, really. But we fear God, too. And now, uh, so Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him again, a fulfillment of that dream of Joseph with his brothers bowing down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? And here's Joseph. See, he understands so much of the ways of God, even though he's been in Egypt and he's been they haven't got a Bible, they haven't got any of these things that we have. He understood that vengeance belongs to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And Joseph says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He's saying, I'm not God. I'm not going to, I'm not judging you. I'm not going to um, now get my vengeance on you. And, and he's almost saying, like, I'll leave that to God. And that's the whole thing of forgiveness, is that whether the person did something really terrible to us or just something quite bad, when we forgive them, we're saying, you know what, I, you owe me nothing. I completely release you from the debt. But what we are not saying, but is actually the truth, is that God will bring about his vengeance if it's necessary. Now, if that person is repenting to God, then obviously, in the same way that God forgives you and me, he forgives that person. I believe when we forgive someone, we speak on behalf of God. But there is that sense, isn't there, that God may well, like someone might steal something. I don't know. Someone might commit a crime that I'm injured in and I might choose to forgive them, but they might still have to pay ultimately for that crime in the courts of the land. And I guess there is that sense in which Joseph can forgive them for this particular sin, but it's God who will judge them longer term, you know, about the state of their hearts, etc. I hope I haven't made that complicated. Right. So here we go. So Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is the verse we love, isn't it? This is worth reading the whole book of Genesis just to get to this verse. You meant it for evil. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So that's a verse we all love to. Many of us Christians will know that verse and quote it. Oh, the devil meant this for evil, but God's intended it for good. And so often we see that playing out even in this life and even in our normal time, kind of earthly time we see these things playing out, that things that initially came against us, we thought this is really bad, and yet God redeems the situation and turns it around and brings good out of it, and that is awesome. Yes, it is a highlighter moment, Kathy. It's a fridge magnet one, isn't it? Stick it on your fridge. So he says, but God meant it for good. So it wasn't just that God meant it for good so that I could get a nice job, I could drive a nice chariot and I could swan around in 
Egyptian designer clothes. It wasn't just about that, but Joseph understood the much greater significance, which was that God would that so that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Not just many people, but a whole nation of Egypt and the whole fledgling nation of Israel that is just beginning to get established there in Egypt. And so he says, do not fear, I will provide for you. He's saying, basically, I've started providing. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to turn the tap off and leave you to starve now. But actually, it's all good. And we're going to carry on. And this is going to be great. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt and he in his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Sorry, beg your pardon. Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. So he and his brothers all remain in Egypt. Joseph lived 110 years and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. That's really nice, isn't it? So I don't know how many great greats that is but it's a lot anyway so he's an old guy and he's seen his grandchildren his great grandchildren and he's like super excited about that and then joseph says to his brothers hold on sorry i keep jumping this morning so joseph saw ephraim's children of the third generation the children also of machir the son of manasseh were counted as joseph's own and joseph said to his brothers i am about to die but God will visit you. Listen to this. I'm about to die, but God, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph is finishing his life as a patriarch, making this incredible statement that I'm going to die, but God will surely visit you. Now, when Moses, when God sent Moses down to Egypt to set the people free from slavery, which they fell into over the, that 400 years period that followed this story, God said, I am is sending you and I'm coming with you, Moses. My presence will go with you. And so when Moses showed up, God showed up. I don't know if anybody's listening to me this morning, but when Moses showed up, God showed up because Moses carried with him the presence of God <coughs> excuse me getting so excited and he he lived under an open heaven and God had promised him that I'm personally coming with you Moses so stop making it into such a drama get on with it or else I'll kick you up the pants and <laughs> so when Moses turned up God turned up so Jacob is Sorry, so Joseph is prophesying this, that God will come, but he's also looking forward like prophecy always does. It looks forward. It's got a it's got a sort of fairly imminent meaning and it's got maybe a few more other meanings that are fulfilled later on in history. And there's this other fulfillment that 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 is carried. The weight of it is carried in those words. God will surely visit you. What happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, the bread of life appeared 
once again in human form and walked on the earth and God visited them in that land, not just to set them free from the slavery of Egypt, which they were now free from, but to set us, you and I, free from slavery to sin and the fear of God's judgment that that would fall on Jesus. So God himself will visit you. God will come. God will surely come. And so Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph was saying, don't let, don't bury me here in Egypt. Take me with you. And I want you to solemnly swear that you will do that. And so Joseph's bones remained in a coffin until the day Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then they took Moses's bones with them. Isn't that incredible? So 400 years 400 years, Mo Joseph's body was not buried. I, they did embalm him, so he would have been lying there in some kind of perhaps quite elaborate, I would imagine, Egyptian sarcophagus. He'd be all wrapped up in bandages and he'd have little jars and bits and pieces all with him ready. And then 400 years later, when Moses um, and the Israelites leave the land of Egypt, Joseph's bones are carried out triumphantly to be buried back in the promised land, which happened. And isn't that an incredible story? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this has been such a blast. Go through the book of Genesis and we can see, can't we, how now we're, we're, we're ending this chapter with a glorious messianic promise of Jesus who's going to come, but also that I don't know why they didn't just leave when Joseph died and head out to freedom because um, they were not slaves at that point. But whether they had just become too established in the land and they settled there and, and then it gradually became a place of slavery or what. But in that time, the, the, the 400 years that follow the end of this chapter, we see the nation of Israel turning from 70 odd people into perhaps one, 1.2, 2 million people. Incredible. So when the day of Exodus finally came, they repeated the scenario leaving Egypt with Pharaoh's reluctant permission this time and with people showering gifts on them. And who knows, we may do a saunter in the book of Exodus. But let's just have an amazing day. May God bless you and smile on you. And thank you so much for your encouragement because it is a real help. And if you've enjoyed the series, do share it. Remember, it's on YouTube. If you want to ping it across to any friends and share it, that is all good. And may God bless you and keep smiling on your life. And remember, he will visit you. He will surely visit you. God bless you. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit.
and so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus so please if you have not got a copy do buy one you can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores including Amazon, Eden and others you can buy it from Christian bookshops or you can message me and get your own signed copy there you go but do like it and review it because that really really does help thank you so much